You're listening to Perry Noble's thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. You can find Perry online at perrynoble.com. Well, hello and welcome to a bonus edition Woo-hoo! of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast Woo-hoo! here in October 2014. Woohoo! Perry, Perry's pumped about uh, this particular podcast, and so am I, because some really cool things have happened over the last week. And so we're going to talk about. Uh, Perry, this blog post that you wrote uh, just this past week, first week of October, uh, and it was slightly controversial. Yes. Uh, you know, and sometimes you're slightly controversial. No. <laughs> but the difference uh, this time around was that this article to date has had over 1.76 million unique hits, which is slightly more than you'd have had in the past, correct? It took my blog <laughs> three years to get a million cumulative unique hits. And uh, th- it, I mean, it went over a million in a day. I, I was a little shocked by that. Pleasantly shocked. For yeah, us. it was really cool. And so since there was such a huge response to that, uh, we thought it'd be cool to, to put together a special leadership podcast to talk a little bit about that article and maybe even more specifically, why you wanted to write that article. So just jumping right in, uh, why don't you tell our listeners about the article, the title, which obviously uh, got everyone's attention, the content, and where the idea for the blog came from. Well, if you um, if you follow me on social media or have been around New Spring for any amount of time, you know that I am a big Chick-fil-A fan. Um, I love... Chick-fil-A, I love not just what they stand for and, and their values and um, their company and their corporation and, and how they do business, but I just love their food. I, I, I really do believe that if somebody would investigate that, that you would discover they put crack in their chicken because it's addictive. It's And, and I, so I love it. So me and Karis, my daughter, we've always done date mornings at Chick-fil-A. I, not not exaggerating, minimum three times a week I eat there. Um, I could eat there every day, and it doesn't bother me. And so um, the title of the blog post was, I'm never going to Chick-fil-A again, ever. And uh, and, and somebody accused me. Um, they said, well, you're just clickbaiting people. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I did. I'm going to own up to that <laughs> one. Uh, because... Um, I got here's where I got the idea for the article. One of my favorite things to get at Chick Fil A used to be the used to be used to be the fruit cup, and it wasn't because I was trying to be healthy. It was that it made me feel better about the milkshake that I was going to get That's later. Because right. I think somehow a fruit cup and a milkshake cancel each other out. Um, but we went into Chick Fil A one day and we got the fruit cup, and I noticed um, they used to have grapes. They've got for those of you wondering, they have mandarin oranges, they have apples, red apples and green apples, they have strawberries, they used to have grapes, but they replaced the grapes with blueberries. One of the most catastrophic, devastating things that has ever happened to me in my life. Because I know some people love blue, and please save me the antioxidants comment. Comment. I, I don't, here's the deal. I don't care about antioxidants, okay? I don't even know what they were. I didn't do good in science. So um, so I went in and I got the fruit cup. There were blueberries. And I was like, well, maybe they were out of grapes or whatever. Because I love <laughs> grapes. I, lo- I really do. I love grapes. Um, I like them to eat them. I like them in a smash form too. Anyway, so I, I love grapes. So the next time I went in Chick-fil-A, I got a fruit cup. Bam, there's the blueberries again. 
And I remember thinking, this is a decisive moment in my life. I'm going to have to decide whether or not I'm coming back to Chick-fil-A. And I just kind of laughed about it. But then I thought for a second, Shane, how, how weird would it have been if I would have said, I'm never coming back to Chick-fil-A ever because of blueberries? Y- yes, I love their customer service. Yes, I love their um, chicken sandwiches. Yes, I love their brand new coffee that they just came out with. Yes, I love this. Yes, I love their nuggets. Yes, I love the waffle fries. But how weird would it have been if I would have said, because of this one thing, because of blueberries, I'm never coming back. And I thought, oh my gosh, man, when you look at the political spectrum, when you look at the church spectrum, when you look at the leadership spectrum in America, everybody with a three-digit IQ would look at me and say, say, you're never going back to Chick-fil-A because of blueberries? That's not smart. I mean, come on. Um, by the way, the, the, the negative comments that we got on Facebook were people that didn't actually read the article. Yeah, it was saw. hilarious. It's like, okay, you're proving my point. But um, everybody would call that a bad decision or an unwise decision. But yet there are so many people that allow that one issue that one issue to divide politically, um, religiously, theologically, um, we allowed that one issue to divide, and because of that, we won't have anything to do with anyone that happens to be on the other side of where we believe. Yeah, so true. You know, Perry, one of the quotes from your article uh, says this. This is one of the biggest problems in the world, especially in politics and the church, is that instead of looking for what we can agree on, we tend to focus on the opposite extreme. If one person is off in regards to what they believe, we allow that to exclude them from sitting down at the table to have a conversation. So in this case, you could have said, I'm never going back to have the Chick-fil-A sandwich I love all the time simply because they put blueberries in one thing that they offer during the day. Yeah, Talk about that a little bit, about how, how ridiculous that is. Well, you know, it, if you study church history, and, and my church history goes all the way back to 1980, um, uh, it was so in the 1980s, um, denominations were a big thing. And so if you were a Baptist, um, you did not, uh, sit down with the charismatics. Um, you, you just didn't, they always had more fun than the Baptist, but you didn't sit down with a, a, a charismatic, the, the Presbyterians and the Methodist did not sit down and talk with each other. The Wesleyans, um, they didn't really talk to anybody, uh, and I'm saying that because I was a Wesleyan for a while. But it was like denominations formed this boundary of we're not going to sit down and talk to you because we don't agree on the way a person gets baptized. Mm-hmm. We don't agree on uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so because of that one thing, we're not going to sit down at the table, dialogue and conversation, and actually learn from each other, which is insane because Jesus in John chapter 17 prayed that we would be unified. That's right. Like he prayed for our unity. But the the thing we tend to focus on is not what we, we, we tend to focus on the blueberries and not the fact that, hey man, all of us agree this is great chicken. Yep. Just like the blueberries, I'm sure Chick-fil-A has a reason that they switched out. Blueberries. Not a good one. Yeah, it may not be not, a good n- one. It's not a good reason. But I bet they have one. But it's not a good one. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And it's probably not, a. you know, talking about denominations, 
I'm sure when someone at some point found something that they found was wrong with whatever religion or the way they were practicing church at the time, they stepped out for a good reason. Maybe it was a good reason to do it, but over time it became the only reason yep. that they separated themselves. Yep. And so with that being said, why is it so important to listen to or dialogue with people who may not fully agree with you? Well, I've learned this the hard way because I, I, I became a Christian in 1990. And uh, it's when the Southern Baptist Convention was um, coming back to what I would call conservative roots. And, you know, there was a battle for conservatives and liberals and conservatives and liberals didn't sit down with each other and talk to each other. And so um, but when social media really began to take off in the mid 2000s, one of the things I think we saw is we saw denominal denominational lines collapse. Um, Baptists were now talking to Presbyterians. Methodists were now talking. But what we saw happen out of that is certain tribes developed, and they weren't denominations. It was the Reform tribe, the uh, Emerging Church tribe, the, um, what is it? Uh, the hyper-charismatic the tribe. Hyper-charismatic. The, the term postmodern was used. Yep. This was my favorite, missional. Yeah. We're a missional church, and basically when people said they're a missional church, what they were saying is our church is not growing, and we needed a name to make us feel better about that, so we're going to call ourselves missional. Um, I remember saying probably on this podcast three or four years ago that the term missional was a buzzword that would no longer be used to describe churches one day, and, and I remember getting some emails going, you're wrong about that. Hey, when's the last time you called your church missional? Uh, and, and if you have... I'm sorry. Anyway, so the reason um, it's important to maybe dialogue with people you may not fully agree with is I'll just give two examples. Um, I am not a five-point Calvinist. I'm, I'm just not. I'm not I'm not a Reform guy, and I know we have some Reform guys listening. I want you to listen to me. I'm not anti-Reform. I'm a on the T-U-L-I-P, you got me on the T. I believe in total <laughs> depravity because I've had a child. And so I believe in it. Um, the P, perseverance of the saints, I am there. I am fully bought into two out of the five points of Calvinism. And so I'm, I, I, I love that. It's just the U, the L, and the I that I have some problems with. Now, here's what's strange. Because of that, for years, I would not read, listen to, or talk to anyone who... Um, who listened to or read John Piper. And uh, they would uh, say, well, John Piper said this and John Piper said that. And I would be like, well, I don't want to listen to anything he said because he's obviously a five-point Calvinist. And because he's a five-point Calvinist, I can't sit down or learn anything from him. Um, and I had that attitude for a while. And it was, it was wrong. So I remember one time I was preparing a sermon on baptism. And and Lee, our worship leader, came to me and said, hey, um, there's this great article online by John Piper. And I was like, nope, stop. And he told me, he's like, hey, man, you just need to read this article. And I remember reading that article and being shocked at how much I agreed. And so I spent some time on John Piper's website that day, Desiring God, and just clicking on articles. And um, the, the stuff I understood, I thought was awesome. I, I, he, he's just a brilliant, brilliant man, um, a dear saint of God. But I realized, you know what? I might, I might not agree with John or Dr. Piper, let me say that, on the U or the L or the I in the five points. 
But man, the guy is smart, and I would be foolish. And you know, Shane, it's so funny. You're sitting here smiling at me. You would call yourself a reform guy. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm I'm in on all five. Man. You're you're in on all five, right? All five. But that's what's funny is <laughs> you and I sit at a leadership table yeah. together, and we talk and we pray and we work through, and we don't let those three points separate yeah, us. Yeah, because in practical church days, weeks, ministries, decisions. Uh, you know, those three points, or even all five, quite frankly, in, yeah. in a lot of ways, don't affect how we do church. We're trying to reach people far from God yep. and teach them to fe- follow Jesus step by step. And so our theological bent or what galvanizes us around Scripture and the Lord, the things that matter, we do 100% agree 100%. But how we approach some of those things can be slightly different, even in our own church. So why couldn't churches do that? Yeah, we have not allowed those things to be our bowl of blueberries that kind of separate <laughs> us. And I don't the, like blueberries either, by I don't, the way. That's, so. They're just bad. I'm, I'm with you on that They're one. bad. The, the other example is one of, the, um, one of the church leaders I admire greatly um, is Bill Hybels. Love Bill Hybels. I love the way that um, he teaches leadership. Uh, he paved the way for churches, the way we're doing church now. Mm-hmm. He paved the way for churches to be done like that, and I love him. But there are some what I call social issues that I strongly disagree with Bill on. Now, let me tell you what just happened. A lot of our li- listeners probably leaned in and goes, well, what are those social issues? What are those things you disagree with Bill on? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It does not. I'm, I'm not going to tell you. And you know why? Because Bill and I, if we were to sit down at the table, the issues that we would disagree on are what I call open-handed issues. That God, there are godly people that are on both sides of the argument. Going, going back to the, the Calvinism thing, there are godly people on both sides of that argument that need to stop yelling at each other and just start talking to each other. Um, with the social issues that Bill and I disagree on, I could have a conversation with Bill um, about those issues and stand up and walk away still thinking Bill Hybels is a fully devoted follower of Jesus who really is trying his best to, to listen to Jesus and do what he says. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, um, but, but sometimes we major on the minors and we minor on the majors. So, so true. Well, let me ask you this. So we talked about a lot of reasons why we should uh, let uh, some of those minor uh, thoughts or ideas we have that are different not keep us from getting to the table and talking about how we can advance the church. Is there ever a time when it isn't the wise thing to do to sit down and have a dialogue with someone who disagrees with you? Um, yes, it, there, there is a time. I think, here's the deal. I'm willing to sit down with anybody who I feel like it would we want to learn from one another or and I wrote this down um, and I've shared this with our staff there's two types of questions one should always be addressed and one um, I've just said that I'm just not going to address uh, question number one are questions of conversation are questions of clarification hey why do we um, sing secular songs in the worship service. That's something that people have asked before. Why do we give an invitation? Why do we take an offering? Why do we support that ministry? Why do we 
not pass out voters' guides? It, and those are questions that I feel like people ask because they sincerely want to understand. Mm-hmm. They, they, they want to know. And so the purpose in sitting down with the, at the table with those people is to clarify. And so maybe you're asking a question because you don't understand something. I explain to you the reason that we do it, and you say, oh, yeah, I get that. Or, yeah, I, I've heard everything you said. Have you thought about this? And then maybe there's something I haven't thought about. And so it, it, it turns out to be a blessing because a conversation takes place. So questions of, you know, clarification, I think those are always things yep. that we've got to be willing to sit down and have the conversation about. The type that I'm not willing to address are what I call questions of condemnation um, or statements of condemnation, where it's like, uh, yeah, I, I just don't agree with that. I, I just don't. And, and when people begin to ask questions to mask the fact that they're really attacking you, um, I just don't think it's wise to sit down at the table with them. And those people exist. I was, I was reading this the other day. Um, I was having a quiet time. Uh, I, I, you did I did, that? I did, from time to time. Okay. Um, but I w- I've never seen this. It's kind of like one of those things you read in the Bible, and you've been reading the Bible for years, and you've never seen it. So Matthew 14 is an incredible chapter in Scripture. Like Jesus um, calms the storm. He walks on water. He feeds 5,000. Well, let's think about that 5,000 thing for a second because that's a pretty big deal because m- most scholars would agree that between fifteen to 20,000 people were fed. Well, they didn't have social media back then, so nobody was tweeting about it. But I will guarantee you, because of the way um, conversations happened and the way words traveled, that people in Jerusalem eventually heard about the miracle that took place where 20,000 people received um, the, the, the Bible buffet, right? Yeah, that, right. All, they, all they wanted to eat. And so think about this for a second. People heard about this miracle in Jerusalem. And so the Pharisees said, hey, we need to go check this out. We need to go see who this teacher is. We need to go see what's going on. And so they dispatched some people. It took about a week to get from Jerusalem to Galilee, by the way they traveled. And so with all that happened in Matthew 14, that's powerful. Listen to Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, verse 2, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Is that not amazing? So, So these guys traveled a week to ask the disciples why they're not using hand sanitizer. I remember just seeing this and going, I can't wrap my mind, not, hey, tell me about the miracle. Right. Tell me about what's going on. This was not a question of clarification. This was a question of condemnation. And so Jesus, um, verse 3, Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And then he just went psycho Billy Ninja and goes off on these guys. Um, I was looking it up. It, you know, the word hypocrite, Shane, mm-hmm. the word hypocrite appears 18 times in the Bible, once in the Old Testament, 17 times in the New Testament. The only times it appears in the New Testament, it's used by Jesus. Hmm. Nobody else uses that word other than Jesus in the New Testament. And in most references, he uses it to go off 
on this group of people called the Pharisees. Um, there is one or two occasions that you see Jesus sitting down with the Pharisees, um, having a meal at the Pharisees' house. But here's what's crazy about the Pharisees and the people that criticize Jesus. They were obsessed over what I call the bowl of blueberries because theologically they, w- they would have agreed with Jesus or Jesus would have agreed with them about most of the things that they believed theologically. It was the methodology that Jesus chose to do his ministry with that the Pharisees had a problem with. And because they could not get used to a different method of doing ministry, they missed the Messiah, which is a big deal. But it was their bowl of blueberries. They let it become the issue that divided them. And so going back to critics, every leader is going to deal with a critic. Every leader is going to deal with someone who disagrees with them. And sometimes they seem like the dominant voice. So this is what happened to me the other night. Um, God speaks to me through weird. Yeah, I just, I just, anyway. So I'm watching the movie um, Ratatouille. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Fortunately not. It's a great, it's a great movie, man. It's a great movie. It's about a mouse that cooks. Anyway. Of course. How could um, it not be great? It's about, or about a rat. It's about a rat that cooks. So anyway, I, it, it was, it was just great. But at the end of the movie, there's this food critic, and and this food critic all through the movie is a very, very big deal. But he does this little dialogue at the end, and I want to read this because this is what people need to keep in mind when it comes to people that attack you for what you've been called to do. And, And let me say this very clearly. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that the Bible is inerrant. I believe that the tomb is empty. I believe in God the Father. I, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, yes, I affirm that. And that's what I'm looking for to believe. The issues of methodology um, can become a bowl of blueberries. And so, so this guy at the end says this. In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. And so what people need to understand is the questions of condemnation, while they may hurt you, they will not destroy you. Don't let people obsessing over a bowl of blueberries take your eyes off of what Jesus has called you to. Man, that was awesome. This has been my favorite podcast ever. Can Mine I too. say that? Yeah, ever. Um, until the next one. Until the next one. Well, we'll see you guys. Uh, look for us in November on the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. It's going to be it's going to be fun. We got the, the next one we got coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. But I just wanted to say, um, at the end, I am going back to Chick Fil A. I love Chick Fil A. I think their food is awesome. I will not order a fruit <laughs> cup. I will not eat blueberries. But I'm not going to let a bowl of blueberries keep me away from something that really is fantastic. That's awesome. See you guys next time.